0: Hey, good morning and welcome, uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, or you can click over there, uh, but I also want you to find 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so uh, we're going to make our way there um, as well, and while you're getting there in the scriptures, uh, let me say Welcome. And I just I want to thank all of you here uh, at at our on-campus location. Thanks for being here today. Um, I also want to uh, welcome everybody at our Bluffton community location. Uh, They're getting yeah they're just a month away from publicly launching their Sunday morning services. So we are all jazzed and excited for you. And then uh, we also want to welcome everybody who's joining us through our online campus. Uh, Thanks for being here and being a part of our church family today. If we haven't met before, my name is Fritz and I serve as one of the leaders uh, here at Lighthouse Community. And so glad every one of you are here. Now I have a question for you just to think about is, uh, and it's this, have you ever had a relationship that was like so messed up that, (laughs) so you're going, you just stop there. (laughs) Yes, the answer is yes. But right, it's like so messed up uh, that if you said something or you did something to try to make it a little bit better, actually you would just make it worse. You ever, you ever been like in that kind of a relationship where just no matter what you did, uh you're probably just going to make it worse right um, right uh, wives stop hitting your husbands right now right <laughs> um, well, so for me um in high school. Uh, this is before I met my wife, Christina, by the way. Uh, I, was, uh, I was dating a girl uh, that I had worked with over the summer. And, uh, you know, everything seemed fine. We got along and uh, hanging out, all of that. And uh, when then we went to a homecoming together, uh, which I don't do those things, by the way, but she conned me into it because uh, that's what you're supposed to do when you're in high school. And uh, so I went, and we had a good time. Uh, went to a friend's house afterwards. We all hung out, and then I went home. Um, and, and, and that was it. You know, it was, it was, a fine night. And then that, that's when everything changed. Um, that fo- I didn't talk to her on Sunday. And then that following Monday at school, uh, we saw each other in the hallway and neither of us said a word to one another. We like acted like the other person didn't even exist. Okay. Like, just never, and, and so for the rest of my career in high school, we never talked, right? Like we, like still to this, isn't isn't that messed up? Like that is, that's a messed up relationship, right? Like who does that? That's so weird. So so I've, I've thought, you know, I mean that was, uh, gosh, like over 20 years ago. And so I've thought about potentially like reaching out to her and letting her know that Maybe we should start seeing other people, right because you know, especially since Christina and I are going to celebrate nineteen years married and four children, perhaps this isn 't going to work out right <laughs> um, but that might make things worse <laughs> right sometimes when you when you try to do things, uh, it might actually make it a little bit weird um, but you know, I don't know. I don't. You know, obviously, some of you have had a relationship that was that maybe was weird like mine, or maybe it was like so broken, it was so severed that to try to do something actually might make things uh, worse. You know, maybe you can think of a relationship like that, or maybe maybe you're in a category. You're like, I don't, I don't have any relationships that I can think of that would fit that kind uh, of a category. But whether whether you can think of an example from your life or you can't, the, the hard truth in this. Is, is what I'm about to tell you, is that every single one of us either currently do or we have at one time suffered from a broken relationship that none of us can do anything about to make better. We can't make it right. We can't solve it on our end and on our own, right? We can't repair it. And, 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 and it's, just, it's just hanging there, right? And what I'm talking about is a relationship with God, right? Every one of us have either been there at one point in our lives, or we're there right now. See, what's happened is, as both as individuals and as a collective, right, as humanity, we have so offended, we have so hurt God, right, that it's actually severed. It's severed our relationship with him, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do to repair it and, and, and don't mistake, it's not that God's like unforgiving and it's not that God is unmerciful, right? That, that's not what's going on here um, at all. Rather, it's that our offense is so great, it's impossible for us to overcome and to make things right. And here's the interesting thing about this relationship is if you and I cannot have a right relationship with God, the consequences of that are overwhelmingly eternal, right? right? It's, it's more than just seeing somebody in the hallway and it being awkward for a moment, right? It's far more than that. We're talking about eternal, eternally disastrous. And, and so if you're thinking right now, you may go, well, this kind of feels a little bit like a catch-22, right? We, we face the consequences of a relationship that we broke, and we're unable to fix it. <laughs> what do you do with that? How are you supposed to navigate that? What does that mean? And what does that look like? Well, the scripture makes the solution really, really clear. And, and we're going to unpack it fully a little bit later, but I want to read for you the passage that I want to talk about that makes this clear and says this is how this relationship gets solved. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 5, and it's simply this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Actually, let's do this. Let's read this passage out loud together, um, starting with, for our sake. Are you ready? Go. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the solution. That's how things get solved. But before we unpack that, I want to dive in and talk about how did we get there? How did we get to this place of a broken relationship with God? Well, whether you've been a part of of Lighthouse community for a while and you've been with us through this whole series, or even if this is your very first time uh, joining us, uh, you might already be familiar with the account that is recorded in Genesis chapter three, right? Even if you don't know that by name and that title in that chapter, it's likely that you're already familiar with that. But I wanna take a moment, we're gonna read that passage, and kind of set the stage of what's going on here. So let me give you a quick context of what's happening in Genesis so far, right? God has created the universe. He's created uh, our world and our environment, Um, And uh, he's created Adam and Eve. And if you weren't part of the last two teachings, the two critical truths that we really unpacked and discovered were this. One is God, right? God is creator of all things, right? He's creator of all things, and we're made in God's image for relationships with him and with other people, that's our purpose. We're created to know him, to love him, to rely on him, and we're created to know and love those around us. Okay? That's our purpose. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we read this passage out of Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1, uh, and I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with what you have. This is what it says Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, uh, this passage exposes for us where sin originated among humanity and, and how it still affects us today right and there is so much that can be said there's so much truth in this passage but I just want to focus in on two this morning so so you know don't send me emails later in the week well you didn't talk about it you didn't talk about it's like I know we don't have time uh you know we will get we will teach this uh more in the future but I want to dial in on just a couple of these things here's here's the first thing I really want you to catch out of Genesis chapter 3 here this is a real account of something that actually happened, okay? Genesis chapter 3 is not a metaphor, and it's not an allegory pointing to all of us, and this is what it's like for all of us, right? Genesis 3 is actually an historical account of something that took place, right? Adam and Eve were real people, okay? These are real individuals that God created. The serpent is real now. By the way, the serpent. This is, he is. This person is either Satan, like in disguise, right, or at the very least, at the very least, is clearly under the influence of Satan and evil. Okay, one of those two things are true. Now, for the most part, most agree this is Satan in disguise, right? This is Satan entered into uh, this moment to bring confusion, but this really did happen, and Adam and Eve really did question their relationship with God as a result of this encounter. That's the first thing I want you to grasp, okay? It's not a story. It's not a once upon a time in a land far, far away, right? No, this is real account of things that actually happen. That's the first thing I want you to grasp. Here's the second thing I'd like you to take home with you is this, and it's regarding sin. The essence of sin, right? The core, the irreducible minimum of sin is found right here, and that is independence from God. That is the essence of what sin is. And yes, it manifests itself in a lot of ways that we hurt each other, right? We lie, we, we take advantage of one another, we get angry, we blow up, we do all kinds of things. Those are the, the outflows, the fruit, if you will, of sin. But the root, the core, the essence of sin is right here, independence from God, right? And and here's what I mean by that. And I say that because even if your desires are honorable, and we all go, oh, those are good desires. If you pursue them separate from a relationship with God, if you pursue them outside of knowing, loving, and relying on God, even if your desires are honorable and you pursue it independent from God, that is sin. You have to see this. You have to understand that this is the core, right? Here, here's, what, here's what I mean, right? So the serpent told Adam, told Eve and Adam, right? Adam was right there, by the way, right? He's not off like doing stuff or whatever, napping and playing Nintendo, right? He is right there with, and Nintendo's been around a while, okay? Um, listen, uh, but you know, he's right there and the serpent told Eve and Adam that they could be like God if they ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I have a question. Is being like God a sinful desire? Is being like God a sinful desire? No. The answer is no. How is it, how is it no? Because we're actually created in his image. (laughs) We're created in his image to be like him. And so the desire to want to be like God is actually not sinful at all. It's it's how we were designed. It's how we were created. Here's what the issue is. Trying to replace God. Trying to be God. That's crossing over into sinfulness, right? Right? So being like him, that's not wrong, because we're created in his image. But being him, replacing him, that's sinful, right? Because you have to remember, we're created in his image. We're made to be like him. And so what in this account, then, is sinful? If the desire to be like God is not sinful, then what happened in Genesis chapter 3 that was sinful? It was the way. It was the way they wanted to go about to be like God. It's how Adam and Eve intended to get there. See, what they did is they saw that by eating this fruit, they could fulfill a good desire, right? But what's wrong with that? God specifically told them not to eat that fruit, okay? You gotta see how all this, it's all gonna come together here in just a second, all right? Why is that sinful? Because I believe when you look in the scriptures, when you take what we've talked about the last few weeks and you look what's happening here, I believe that God wanted Adam and Eve to become more like him. He wanted them to be like him. That's how it's like, right? Genesis 1.26, let's create them in our image. Right? This is what God said. But he wanted them to become more and more like him, by being in relationship with him as opposed to some other means that didn't include him. Do you see what's happening here? The the goal is the same, but the means could not be, the pathways could not be any further apart. And that is one of the underlying, you might call, secrets of sin, okay? Okay? Maybe, maybe you know this, maybe this is the first time you ever hear this. This is what sin actually does. Sin actually tempts us to fulfill a good and godly desire in a way that sidesteps God and excludes him. That's, that's actually every temptation. You have to see this. Every temptation that you and I face is actually born out of a good desire Something A good desire that God has actually put within us, but sin actually tempts us to fulfill that in a way that excludes God and does it on our own. Okay? You've got to see it. Here's what I mean by that. Um, we have a good desire for safety and security. That's actually a good desire. But do you realize that our safety and security is designed to be found in God. Right? You read through the Psalms, God is my refuge, God is my fortress, God is my shield, God is my strength. Right? God, God, right? All, it's, all about, it's all about God being safe, God being the place of security, God being the place of, of safety, all of that stuff. And so the desire is not wrong, the desire is not evil for that. But what happens is this, sin invites us to find safety and security in other methods that exclude God and don't invite him to be the lead piece in that. And so some of us chase after wealth because we think through there we'll get safety and security. We, we chase it after like being with people as much as possible and finding our safety and security from being around others, right? But whatever it is, if you're finding fulfillment through other methods and other ways that, ex- that actually exclude God and you doing it on your own, that's the essence of sin, right? Let me give you another example. Uh, we have a good desire for closeness and intimacy With another person. That's actually a good, godly desire that He's put within us. And God's design for that is for us to enter into one committed relationship for life with a person of the opposite sex. Okay? That's God's design. But sin says, you know, you can get that another way. You can get the feeling of closeness and intimacy without having to enter into that kind of a relationship. You can bounce from relationship to relationship and have a sense of that closeness. You can leverage things like pornography to have a sense, like this false sense of closeness and intimacy with another person, right? Do, do you see? Do you see? See, the essence of sin is taking a good desire, something that God has actually given us, but fulfilling it in, in a way that it actually excludes stiff arms, Pushes God away. That's what's happening here from the very beginning. From the very beginning, fulfilling a good desire without God, independent from God, okay? Now, I have a question, and it's going to sound like a trick question, but I promise you, I'm not trying to trick you in any way whatsoever. Just want to engage your thinking for a second. What is prayer? Just a basic, simple, like, what what is prayer at its core? People are like, this is a trick. I'm not answering. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Yeah, that's it. She said talking to God. Yeah, that's it. Like the essence of prayer is just simply talking with God, talking to him, listening to him, all of that kind of stuff. That's the essence of prayer. Now, my question is, since it seemed like there's confusion going on here in Genesis chapter 3 about the fruit and God's command, my question is this. Why didn't Adam and Eve just ask God for clarity? it's not like they'd never talked to him before. It's not like they'd never had some kind of, it's not like they didn't recognize his presence or his, right, when he was showing up on the scene. We're gonna see that in just a second. But why didn't they just talk to God? Why didn't they pray? Why didn't they just ask God and let him affirm this truth? See, what happened is Satan puts this idea in their mind of you don't need God. Do you realize that you don't need God to fulfill your potential? You can do this on your own right and and so this desire this other way to fulfill a desire here's what he did he stroked their desire and put another pathway in front of them to fulfill a good desire in a way that excluded god by the way that's what james chapter 1 verse 15 talks about right you know it says this desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death Wow, if that's not ever true, especially in this account, you see that, right? Desire conceived gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. And that's exactly what happened here, death. Independence from God and freedom away from God always leads to death. See, Adam and Eve, what they didn't realize is that their sin actually severed their relationship with God and severed their relationship with one another. You're going to see that here in just a moment. Look at uh, verse 7, okay? Genesis 3, verse 7. So they've eaten this fruit. Look what happens in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the field. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "'Where are you?' And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, "The, the woman, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate, right? And so their eyes were open. They recognized their own nakedness. They noticed that the other was naked, too. And for the first time ever in creation, shame is felt. Shame is felt. And they actually hid themselves, from each other with loin claws, loin claws. Okay, I want you to compare that just really quickly with Genesis chapter 2 25. This is creation right before sin enters into the world. Look what it says. And the man and wife are both naked and were not ashamed. So they were in that condition before, but there was no shame. Why? Because sin and independence hadn't entered into the world yet. It enters in what happens immediately shame, fear, hiding, right? All of this stuff comes in. And so sin altered the primary human relationship, husband and wife, right? That's the first human relationship. And then you see the blaming begin. God comes and says, "Adam, what did you do?" And Adam goes, "It's not my fault. It's 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 Eve's fault. Actually, it's your fault, God. You created her. You gave her to me." I was an insomniac. I would have been playing Nintendo. She called me over. Okay, right. So God goes, okay, let's travel down this blame game for a second. Eve, what did you do? Eve goes, it wasn't me. It was it was the serpent. I've never I've never I've never heard of a talking serpent. I had to come and check it out. You know that it it was a serpent, right? The one you made. You made serpents. And God looks over the serpent. He's all right. Like, <laughs> right? Like, where are you going to go with that? And so you, you see this brokenness, you see this blaming, you see this hiding, you see all of this beginning to happen. And later in Genesis 3, God announced that this brokenness we initially see in these passages is actually going to extend from not only husband and wife, it's going to extend from all of mankind to creation, and it's actually going to extend, this brokenness is going to happen between person to person. Right? And you begin to see that play out really, really quickly. Have you ever heard the names Cain and Abel? It doesn't take long, right? And so this, this sin broke our relationship with God, but it also broke our relationship with one another. Think about this. For the first time ever, Adam and Eve heard God coming into the garden. And instead of running to him, They ran away. They ran from him. And they hid in their shame. And so in choosing freedom away from God, they were also choosing independence from the author of life. And that's where death begins to come in on the scene. And so now they're going to face death. And God says that, right? From the dust you came, and to the dust you will return as a result of this. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 in Genesis 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree uh, also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore The Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so this is how sin began. This is where it started. The current condition of our world right here, all the fighting, all the brokenness, all the anger, all the blaming, all the separation, the death, right? The sense of purposelessness, it all started right here. This is where it began. Broken relationship with God and broken relationships with one another. This is where it began an offense so great we can't overcome on our own it's too much we can't do it now what's really remarkable here is in this in this chapter alone right here god gives hints of hope that he would not leave us like this right he gives hints of hope, right? In his proclamation, when he, when he announces the curse to, uh, to creation, to the serpent, to the woman, and to Adam, he says this uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says to the serpent, who is likely Satan, right? I think that's who this is. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. God's saying, there's going to be a battle one day. And you're going to to strike, (laughs) but you're going to lose. You will ultimately be crushed. You'll be destroyed, right? You'll be overcome. And so God says there's one who's going to come out of humanity that will crush out Satan's power and influence. So you have a hint. You also have this hint like God making garments of skin for Adam and Eve to wear. Where do you think these garments of skin came from? Likelihood is this, is that God likely sacrificed animals on behalf of Adam and Eve's sin. He actually sacrificed and then gave them their, those skins as garments for them to wear, right? See later in Leviticus, God explains why this works and how this happens. Look at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. God says, "'For the life of the flesh is in the blood, "'and I have given it for you on the altar "'to make atonement for your souls.'" for it is the blood that makes atonement by life. And then later in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we get additional clarity saying this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so what God has done here in, in, in uh, making garments of skin for Adam and Eve is that God has allowed a substitute to stand in place of the sinner. A substitute to take the punishment that someone else earned. Okay, that's what's going on here. Leviticus 17, Hebrews 9, Genesis chapter 3, right? Why would he do that? Because you're created in the image of God. There's no other aspect in all of creation that's created in the image of God. You are, I am, right? That's what's going on here. And so God sacrificed on behalf of Adam and Eve's sin and he gives them, right, garments made of skin, from another animal, and they wear those. Think about this. They wear them every day. Every day is a reminder. Every day is a reminder that someone else paid for their sin. Every day. But God makes atonement for them in this moment. And so they have this constant reminder, not only their cost of sin, but this constant reminder of God's grace. Right, It's with them all the time. Now, if you were here last week, do you remember last Sunday when one of the things we shared uh, briefly at the end of the teaching is that Jesus taught us uh, in Luke chapter 24 that all of the scripture, right, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, it points to him, right? it points to him, right, it's not that God, not that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and the New Testament, but actually the Old Testament points to, <laughs> right, the Old Testament is was like pre-fulfilled, <laughs> pointing to Jesus Christ, right. Now, here's what's really interesting about that, okay? Keep all this in mind. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, that's in the New Testament, we discover this that it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay? It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So what happens is you you have you have this, this substitute that's pointing to something greater, to something more true, to something more powerful right? And so what's happening is we needed a sacrifice that could actually restore our relationship with God and restore our relationships with each other. And so what happens is all of these sacrifices from Genesis 3 all throughout the Old Testament are all pointing to ultimate hope and fulfillment in Christ and forgiveness that comes through him by faith. They all point to that They're all leading to that, right? They're all hinting towards that. We don't know that yet. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? But they didn't know that at this time because God is hes hinting. He's leaking out more and more of himself, right? Making this clear. And so you have sin. We've broken a relationship. And then you have God saying, there can be a substitute, right? You have an offense so great, so overwhelming, you can't repair it, you can't do it. But there can be a substitute who stands in your place that can actually make atonement and bring restoration. Oh, but it's not bulls and it's not goats. It's something greater. It's something more fulfilling and lasting, right? Now, I want you to go. Some of you have had your finger there for quite some time. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We read it already. Here's what I'd like to do. Let's read it out loud again. All locations, Lighthouse, Bluffton, online, let's read this passage out loud together. Lots of enthusiasm. Ready? Go. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) Does that passage make a little bit more sense now? Right? Listen, here's what's going on. On our behalf, okay, on our behalf as a substitute, because there was nothing and there is nothing that we can do to restore our relationship with God. Jesus took ownership of your sin. He took ownership of my sin. He took ownership of everybody's sin for all time. Okay? He took it and he owned it. My sin became his sin. Your sin became his sin. where and now I think about this, where Adam and Eve okay, I wanted to go back there just for a second where Adam and Eve actually sinned, where Adam and Eve felt the shame, and they ran and they hid and they covered themselves and they blamed others. Jesus Christ who never sinned, stepped in as our substitute, took ownership of our sin, felt the shame, was stripped down naked, and put on display for everyone to see. He took our blame and paid our price. That's what this is pointing to. Do you, do you see where we failed to own up and even take ownership of what we do? Jesus claims ownership on public display for everyone to see he was me. It was me, I did it. I'll take the blame. I'll take the guilt. I'll take the wrath. I'll take the separation. I'll face the death. I'll do all of that. Why, why? So that we could inherit his healthy relationship with the Father. That's why he did it. He did it so we could inherit his relationship with the Father and his healthy relationship with other people, right? See, Jesus is the only one who restores relationships. How? How is that possible? Oh, well, it's by grace through faith and through the transformation of your life in the Holy Spirit. That's how that happens. I want you to see something, okay? I want you, right, in Genesis chapter 3, okay? In Genesis chapter 3, God was the one to perform the first sacrifice for the very first sin you see that right he made garments of skin for them to wear God makes the first sacrifice for the very first sin and then in Christ God makes the final sacrifice for all of sin for all time Right? Do you, see, you see what's going on here, right? Hebrews chapter 10, 12, right? Jesus Christ, when he was done with his ministry, he sacrificed, he says he sat down, meaning he's done. There's no more sacrifices that need to be offered. Once for all time, it's completed and it's over and it's done right here. God performed the first sacrifice and God performed the last sacrificed that would ever be needed. And where the gates of Eden were closed for us to enter in to the garden and the tree of life, now by faith, those who walk in grace with Jesus Christ, the gates of heaven are wide open for you to enter, right? By the way, there's a tree there in heaven. Do you know what the tree is called? It's the tree of life. (laughs) The tree that we were prohibited from in our sin is now open and available to every single person who walks by faith, who lives by grace in Jesus Christ, right? Why would he do that? Why would Christ do that? Why would God do that? Don't, do you see? You see? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it seems so elementary, but it's so true. It's so powerful. He loves you. He loves me, right? That, that's why he would do that. See, God understands relationships like no one else, and, we, and we've been trying to expose that through this series is that you were made for relationship with God. And Jesus is the only one who restores that relationship. Nobody else can do it. Now, what's remarkable is when your relationship with God is restored, it actually opens up the doors for other relationships that you're connected to to be healed and restore it as well. There's this amazing outflow, right? Not only is this vertical relationship restored, but he begins to restore and bring healing to horizontal relationships. Now, I would encourage you to just take a, a, a next step out of all of this discussion. It's very simple. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to, to take this week and meditate on 2 Corinthians 5.21, like to just really think deeply on this passage. What does it say? What does it mean? Here's what I would do if I were you. If you've never meditated before, right? this is the next step you can actually take on the back of your connection card. Let us know you'll do that. And here's what I would, we'll, we'll actually send you, if you've never meditated before on scripture, we'll send you some resources to help you do that. But what I would do is I would rate 2 Corinthians 5.21 like on a note card, and I would just stick it in my pocket and carry it with me everywhere I go. And every while every while, again, I just pull it out and look at it. And I'd read it, and I'd think about it, and I'd focus in on each word how the presence of that word in the placement actually brings meaning and fulfillment to what God is communicating here that would be that's a really solid next step to begin to think deeply to let the holy spirit minister to you on what is actually happening here right you could take that as a next step but do do you see do you see how pivotal how important relationships are to god do you see how important you are to god Right? God has literally done everything to restore your relationship with Him. He's borne every burden. He's owned every wrong. Right? He's, he's defeated sin and death through His death, through taking on the wrath of God completely so that you could live and you could be with Him. Right? And His resurrection proves that. His resurrection proves that He is the Son of God, that He does have authority over life and death, that He can. Invite people into a right relationship with God through him. And here's a cool thing. When you say yes to him by grace through faith, he de- right? you don't not only have a restored relationship with the Father and he begins to heal these. Actually, he gives his presence to live within you, the Holy Spirit. Literally, the Holy Spirit. Take- God takes up residence in you. How much closer can you get to somebody than that? Right? And, and, the whole, and the reason he does that is so, one, we can be together, but two, he begins to transform our minds. He begins to transform our spirits. He begins to change the way we think, and we become more and more like him, which is the desire in the very beginning. But this time, you don't do it separate from him. You do it with him. You can't be any more with him than when he's living inside of you, right? Because you're made in his image. When you experience that kind of love, when you experience that kind of forgiveness, when you experience that that kind of generosity that Christ has shown you, it, 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 you can't help but just, it leads you, right? And the Holy Spirit's living inside you. It leads you to help other people experience that as well. It helps, right, to, to help other people experience the person of God too, right? Actually, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to restore relationships with other people. Right? You're, you're like, have this desire. You know, you're praying, and God's going to bring to mind, you know, you know, things aren't right between you guys. Like, oh, yeah. All right, what can I do? How can I, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, some of those relationships, God may heal very, very quickly, and he may restore very quickly. And some of those relationships, it's going to seem like they're never going to get better, no matter what you do, right? There's no way to bring healing into them, or it seems like they're taking forever to do that. So what do you do in those moments? What do you do when you have a right relationship with God? You're finding healing in relationship with other people, but you still have these other ones lingering out there where they're still broken, they're still weird. And actually, if you say something, do something, it might make it worse. What do you do? I would encourage you to do what Adam and Eve failed to do turn to God. Turn to God. Don't do this on your own. Don't figure this way out on your own. Right? You don't need to read a book with three better ways to be more likable and gain more friends. Right? You know what you need? You need the Spirit of God to lead you moment by moment if you're going to see real restoration, if you're going to see real healing in that relationship with other people. right? And so, so I would do this. right? Turn to God. Pray. Trust Him. Ask Him for strength right? as you're going through these moments of, of like challenge and, and hurt and all of that stuff. right? Ask Him to enable you to absorb the hurts and the insults. And in the moments you feel like giving up, walking away, Ask the Holy Spirit to remind you that Jesus Christ himself never gave up. He never walked away. Even in the people who still today shake their fists in his face, say, I don't need you. He's reaching out to them. He's loving them, right? Why? Why? Because Jesus restores relationships. That's what he does. But you you walk. You don't do this independent on your own, right? That's the problem. That's when you get in the problem in the first place. You do this in relationship with God. Uh, once Jesus was sharing a story with uh, a group of people and he told a story and maybe, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but he tells a story of a father who had two sons and the younger son comes to the father and he says, uh, I want my inheritance now. Essentially what he says is this, uh, I would rather have your stuff than have you. Actually, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying when he says, I want my inheritance." Cause when do you get inheritance? And somebody dies. So he's saying to his father, I'd rather have your stuff than have you. I wish you were dead. Just give me my things now and I can go on my way. Can you imagine how hurtful, right? How, offend- how offensive that was to the father? And here's what he does. He gives it to him. He gives him the inheritance. Son takes off, goes to another city, lives life, you know, to the world standard, to the hilt, right? Lo and behold, he's bankrupt. Nothing, right? All gone. He's homeless. He's starving, right? Nothing. He has nothing, and all of a sudden, in that moment, right, this moment of clarity <laughs> hits him when he's in the mud, when he's starving, when he's homeless. He goes, wait, I, c- I could be at home working for my dad. I mean, even the people who work for my dad, they-, they live better than I'm living. At least they have something to eat. They have a roof over that. I could do that. You know what? I- I'm, g- I'm going to go home. I can't be one of his sons. I know I've ruined that. I've broken that. I've destroyed that relationship. There's nothing I can do about it. But maybe he would at least hire me. Maybe he would at least let me work for him. So he starts heading home. <laughs> While the son is still far off, Jesus says this in the story, the father saw him coming. Why did the father see him coming? Because he's looking for him. He's waiting for him. He's waiting, longing for the day he's going to come home. He's waiting for the day he's going to come back. And the father sees him far off in the distance. And you know what He does. He runs. He runs to him. He hikes up his little robe, right? And he runs. He runs down the sidewalk. He runs down the driveway. He runs down the street. Doesn't give a rip who sees him. And when he gets to his son, he hugs him. He's overwhelmed with joy. And the son says this, I'm sorry, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Right? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what the father does? He doesn't even really acknowledge what his son just said. Instead, he says this Listen, everybody, grab the best robe. Get a ring and put it on his finger. Get sandals on his feet. Let's throw a party because this son of mine who was dead is alive. He was lost and now he's found. It's time to celebrate. Now there's more to that story. But I want to stop there because you need to catch that is the father's love for you. Yes, you don't deserve to be a son. You don't even deserve to work for him. You don't even deserve to get to say his name. And yet when we come to him, bearing, right? Not hiding, bearing, exposing this, this, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what, right? Can you do anything with this? He embraces you, pulls you in. Get the best robe, get a ring, get the sandals. You are mine. That he made him who knew no sin to become sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. You are created. You are created for a right relationship with the Father. I had some more things to say, but listen, the Spirit's either speaking to you and you get it or you don't. (laughs) And if you do, man, say yes. Say yes and chase after him. And if you don't, let me know. and Man, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you for God to help you see what's going on here. And you would respond to him, not to me. I don't need you to respond to me. I'm just your brother, right? He's your father. He's the one who's done everything for you as it's your loud brother who talks too much, right? I just want to point you to him. But I'll pray with you and I'll pray for you. You were made for a relationship with him and you're made for a relationship with others. And Jesus is the only one who can restore those relationships. You are not made to live independent from God, but rather to know him, to love him, and to rely on him every moment every day I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes we ask this question every, every weekend and it's simply this Jesus what are you saying to me right now what are you saying through this passage what are you saying through this teaching and I just want you to listen Listen, God may be speaking to you. Actually, he probably is. It is likely that God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you right now. Let me say this. It is normal to hear from God. (laughs) It is normal to have a desire to be in a relationship with him. It is normal to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is normal for the Holy Spirit to transform your mind and your heart and your will. It is normal to want to know, love, and rely on God. It is normal to have a desire to restore relationships with the people around us. It is normal to to stay in step with the Holy Spirit as he leads you through that. I would invite you, don't resist normal. Embrace it. Step into it. Say yes, Father in heaven. We say thank you. And blessed be your name. You are the only one who could have accomplished what's been accomplished through Christ on the cross and out of the grave. We say thank you. And we simply want to worship you. I just I sense my own heart just drawn right now. I just I just want to celebrate you. I want to praise your character. I want to, I want to, I want to worship you in, in your great deeds and your strength and your mighty power. And so Holy Spirit, I would ask you to empower your church, your bride, to bring great praise to you in this moment. And I would pray for anybody who's still outside of the family, that in this moment, even right now, if they're at Lighthouse, if they're a Bluffton community, if they're online camps, it doesn't matter where they're at, that they would say yes to you if they haven't already. And they would discover the joy of living the way we're created to live. We bless you and we ask all these things in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for joining us.